Hey friends, before we get to today's episode, I want to talk to you about unicorns. You know I think we're all unicorns because we have special gifts and talents, and because we're all so special, it's important that we invest in things that will help us get to the next level. In fact, 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support. Plus, they have a huge collection of resources to help startups scale. And with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save big off your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot, visit HubSpot.com slash startups. Before I took my sabbatical from my law firm, I started to think deeply about the next steps in my career. As a fifth year associate in big law, this is pretty normal. It's a demanding job that most people leave around this time. It's often only a season of a person's legal career. A natural next step is in-house counsel, but I wasn't sure this was a natural next step for me. I was fortunate to have found my people and my practice group, but it still didn't feel right. Something in me wanted more or something different. I felt guilty about it, like I would come off ungrateful. Some people might look at me and say, you have a good life, you make a lot of money, you're on a reduced schedule, so your hours are manageable. You actually work with people you like. You have a supportive husband, you're healthy. What more do you want? And I realized that I wanted to feel more fulfilled. I wanted to live a life more aligned with who I am. I also realized that I was changing. My values were changing. Hey everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde and welcome to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. No Straight Path is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. We are digging into the human stories behind success and my hope as always is that you leave the conversation inspired, motivated, and excited about your journey. Wow. I can't believe it's 2023, we are here, it's a new year. Many of us are engaging in some type of ritual to kick off the new year. We're doing New Year's resolutions or some iteration of this. We're journaling, we're writing down our intentions, our reflections, and some of us are actually saying no to New Year's resolutions. We're just happy to be here on this earth and we're allowing life to surprise us. Wherever you are in your journey, my hope is that you achieve your version of success. And the key word here is your. There are so many societal markers of success that it can be challenging to figure out what your definition is. And it may change over time. For many of the guests on No Straight Path, it has. And it has certainly changed for me. Let me give you a little background. As a millennial who grew up in an era where we were told we could have it all, I worked towards achieving this. I was influenced by the lean-in era, the girl boss era. Although this ethos was often pushed by privileged white women, I bought into it. As a black woman afforded a lot of privilege due to my education, I thought I could be a girl boss too. To a certain extent, I became one, or at least I was on my way. I worked at prestigious law firms since graduating from college. I'd pull late nights studying in law school and as a summer associate and posted on my IG, I wanted to give girl boss vibes. I'd post photos of the beautiful view from my office, fancy events, and buy stylish business attire. That's actually one thing I'm so proud of. Everyone at my office loved my style. Although I prefer ripped jeans, I use my outfits as a form of self-expression. 
one way to still feel like me. Anyway, I was that girl that bought into hustle culture, grind culture, rest when you die culture. I know many of us did. Although I wanted more work-life balance, I didn't know how to achieve it and still succeed at work. To remain fulfilled, I took on pro bono projects and extracurricular activities. I also didn't skip out on family time because it was, and still is, important to me. So basically, I didn't sleep. I was moving through the world exhausted. And I realized that this lifestyle no longer felt successful to me. So I needed to make a change. I needed to redefine success for me. I was recently a guest on another podcast, and the host asked me to unpack the word success. I know, that's a lot. He asked me to discuss the kind of guests I like to have on the show. And I told him that I aim to feature fulfilled guests doing impactful work. I realized that this is my simple definition. My version of success is living a fulfilling life while doing impactful work. As we enter this new year, I'd like to unpack this definition, share what it means to me, and explain how I got here. And I'll tell you, just this process is so helpful, and it just already leads to fulfillment, knowing that you are working towards fulfillment, that you've defined your version of success, that you know what it looks like, that you know what makes you feel good inside is just an incredible step. So I will share my four-part version of what success looks like and feels like to me. Number one, it includes time for myself. I realize that having time for myself to reflect, read, and just be has led to more fulfillment and happiness in my life. When I reflect on my journey, the times where I felt most at peace, happy, and energized were times where I had time for myself, times where I actually achieved work-life balance. I can only point to two periods of my life where I felt like this. One of them includes right now because I have more control over my schedule. And the first time was in the latter half of 2021. I had gone on a reduced schedule earlier that year to give myself time to grieve after my mom passed away. And in the last six months of the year, I just found my rhythm. I was working on some great cases with people I enjoyed working with while also having time for myself, family, and fun. No real commitments outside of work. I could just be. When I have personal time, I can focus on my health and well-being. I can read books. Yes, books. I can actually be an interesting person. In fact, I remember the moment where I realized I had become less interesting. I was in an Uber on the way to a work event, and the Uber driver asked me about my hobbies. I was shocked. I've always had the perfect answer for what do you do for work. But a hobby? What is a hobby? Who has time for that? All I do is work. That is what I was feeling. Although I didn't want to work all the time, it's what the job required. And in that moment, I knew this couldn't be my lifelong term. Shiny on the outside, but dull on the inside. I can't quite remember my response, but I remember being honest with my Uber driver. I just told him. We shared our stories. We opened up. He even told me he was undocumented. And then I told him all about the advocacy work I'd done for the DREAM Act. We just really connected. And then I thought to myself, wow, that girl was so passionate. The girl who worked her paralegal job and organized DREAM Act advocacy events in her free time. That girl had free time. I realized in order to become the woman I want to be, a woman I can be proud of, a woman who is fulfilled, 
I have to have free time, time for myself, time to read, time to pour into my passions outside of work, time for whatever I want to do. The term that encompasses this is time affluence. Harvard Business School professor Ashley V. Willens described it as a feeling of having control and feeling like you have enough time on an everyday basis. Her research suggests that those who tend to value time over money are usually happier, more civically engaged, and more likely to pursue activities they are passionate about. Her book, Time Smart, How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life, delves into this issue. According to her research, 80% of Americans are time poor. Her four strategies for combating this feeling of being time poor includes prioritizing time over money, setting aside time for leisure, outsourcing unwanted tasks, one of my favorite things to do, and believing leisure time is just as important as working. Yes, she is speaking to my soul. Before I was even aware of this term, time affluence, I was using these strategies to give myself more time. I do want to note that the happiness associated with time affluence is nuanced. Psychologist and professor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management, Cassie Mulgener-Holmes' research shows that although less than two hours a day of leisure time is correlated with unhappiness, more than five hours a day is actually correlated with unhappiness as well. So there's a balance here. It's not about having all the unstructured time in the world. It's about feeling like you have enough time each day to do the things you want to do. And you have to figure out what's right for you. If you want to learn more about this concept, I'm going to include some relevant articles in the show notes. And remember to give yourself grace with this. There are a lot of external factors like having children or a demanding boss that make achieving time affluence tough. But I think understanding its value and making small steps towards taking time for yourself can change your life. All right, number two is living a life that is reflective of my values. I know you've all heard this one before from various guests on the show, including Kristen Turner and Raha Francis, and I just think it's spot on. Living a life that is reflective of my values is so important to me. When there is a misalignment in the work you're doing and the way you're moving through life and your value system, things will start to feel off, not quite right. I realized a big reason I needed to redefine success for myself was because my values were changing. During my overachieving hustle approach to life, I valued achievement, perfection, and financial security. Although I also valued family and service to others, I had to move through the world exhausted to ensure that I was living in alignment with my values. Now, my top five values include family, connection, freedom, service to others, and financial security. So let's go through them. With respect to family, not much has changed with my level of commitment. I talk to my dad almost every day. I check in on my aunts, uncles, and cousins. I remember and attend birthdays. I try to be a good wife. According to my husband, that's just being myself. So I'm doing great. (laughs) And now that my family has expanded through marriage, I aim to do the same with my in-laws and other family members. And I'm also getting really excited about becoming a mother one day. I just love my family. I recognize that I am fortunate to have a family I not only love, but I actually like. And I've just decided to really lean into it because it brings me so much joy and happiness. One way to define your values is to think about the times where you felt the most joy and happiness. Those activities can lead you to think about what's most important to you. The next value is connection. So I mentioned this in my conversation with Raha Francis. It feels painful when I move through life and relationships and things feel transactional. 
oh, I just hate it. I want to know about your life. I want you to know about my life. And I want us to support each other along the way. I've had more meaningful conversations and points of connection with strangers like the Uber driver who asked me about my hobbies than some people I've worked with for years. Having the ability to connect with others through podcasting and connect with other creators and entrepreneurs has been just so fulfilling. The conversations I have are deep, interesting, and often life-changing. It just feeds my soul. So I'm just going to keep doing that. And the next value is freedom. This is something I discussed with Emily Thompson from Being Boss in an earlier episode, and she talked about not wanting to have a boss. That's honestly one of the reasons she went into entrepreneurship, and she wanted to work for herself and feel free to live the life she wants. I can certainly relate to that, and I'm sure so many people can, especially Gen Z. I was reading a few articles about the generation, and I'm interested in work culture and A lot of people want to go into entrepreneurship in that generation. And so I asked my cousin, who he's about 21, I believe. Yeah, about to be 22. I said, does everyone want to be an entrepreneur in your generation? And I knew, obviously, an overgeneralization, but I asked about the trend. And he said, he wasn't sure about that, but a lot of people want to feel free. They don't want to have a boss. So interesting. Learn something new every day. And it's something I can relate to, but admittedly, this one can be hard to achieve because we're all beholden to various external factors and financial constraints. But I've decided that I want to live a life where I feel free to be myself, work as much as I want to work, and do the things I love. Right now, I am fortunate to have this sabbatical and experience this kind of freedom. Sadly, this is temporary, but fortunately, I am using this time to design a life where I can work towards and achieve this freedom especially as my husband and I plan for children. I'll keep you guys updated on my journey to freedom. (laughs) The next value is service. Like family, this one was always part of my core values. Throughout much of my life, I've been able to stick to it. I was raised this way. My dad worked as a director of a boys and girls club for over 30 years. My grandmother founded a nonprofit to serve people in Guyana. Although service was always expected of me, it was also very fulfilling. I was always involved in a service project, and this extended to my busy attorney life, and I just remember my favorite moments. My favorite moments were the times that I spent in the homelessness expungement clinic and small claims clinic. I actually had the opportunity to lean into my values of both connection and service in those moments, and I got to listen to life stories, offer support, and provide legal services to those in tough situations with few resources. It was just really rewarding. So another pro tip, think about your favorite moments at work. Why are those your favorite moments? Is it the people, the kind of problem you're trying to solve, the skill set you're able to employ? Write it down, keep track of it. This will help you better define your values and make sure that your professional life aligns. Now that my professional life has changed and I'm no longer able to participate in pro bono clinics, I thought about other ways I can lean into my value of service. One way is to serve others through storytelling. Doing this podcast is an act of service. The number of messages I've received about how these stories are inspiring others and making people feel seen is what I aim to do. I was actually at an alumni networking event a few months ago, and a partner at an entertainment law firm said to me, podcasts change lives. Keep doing what you're doing. 
Oh, and I just, I remember feeling so happy inside. I'll always remember that moment. It was so affirming and it helped me realize I was leaning into my values by doing this work. It is service. It's impactful. One example of its impact actually involves my dad. My dad said I should include this in an episode. So here goes. <laughs> he said the pivot episode where I discussed advocating for yourself in the workplace really stuck with him. And he asked for a change in his schedule. He felt like his current schedule was not allowing him to show up as his best self, so he made the ask. He also provided strong support for why this change would be better for the organization from a people and organizational perspective, and his supervisor said, yes, go dad. See, I included the story. You're welcome. (laughs) But anyway, I wanted to share how I was able to lean into my value of service in multiple ways to serve as a reminder that there are a lot of paths to value alignment in your life and work. The way you lean in can change depending on your season of life. So friends, we're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about another amazing podcast, and that's Latinx Empower, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez, which is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Latinx Empower is a podcast that features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insights from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their careers. I think you'll love a recent episode on toxic positivity in the workplace. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcast. Finally, the last value is financial security. I've decided to make this a separate category for my definition of success. So, so far, I have time for myself, living a life that is reflective of my values, and now financial security. I realize that money has always been and still is important to me. I had to be honest with myself. I got the service-oriented disposition from my dad and the money value orientation from my mom. I remember when I would complain to my mom about the long hours at the firm, and she'd remind me it was temporary. She'd say, Ash, you know you don't have to do this forever, especially when you have kids, but remember you are blessed. You're making a lot of money. Most black folks don't even get this opportunity. And it reminded me of a conversation that Michelle Obama had with her mom, which she shares in her book, Becoming, one of my favorite books. Her mom had a similar attitude. I just felt so seen. And it's a conversation that a lot of people who don't come from money with fancy corporate jobs have with their parents when they're complaining or deciding to take an alternative path. We've talked about it on the show. Remember Darius White's story? Check it out if you haven't taken a listen. I understood where my mom was coming from. It's an opportunity that so many people don't get. So I decided to take advantage of it when I could. I saved and invested. We had a nice wedding. We had a fancy honeymoon. It provided a cushion so I could take a sabbatical and delve into my passion for storytelling. I also have to admit that I do like good quality things and experiences, and I was able to provide financial support to my parents when they needed it. I started to see what money could do for my family and well-being, and I saw what money did for my family when my grandma was nearing the end of her life. There's one moment I'll never forget. She was sitting in her chair a week after having a stroke, and she had these spurts of energy. She was giving me an unfiltered truth with lots of life advice. And she talked about the importance of money. She said, 
You need to save, you need to invest, and you need to be smart with your money. Don't live above your means. Then she pointed to her caregiver. She said, you see this wonderful care I have? We can sit together and enjoy each other's company. It's because I paid for this care. You don't have to worry about paying for that or doing shifts to take care of me. That's what money can do. At first, I just started laughing because she's hilarious. She's like, girl, see, I did all this for you. You don't do anything. (laughs) But then I thought, wow, she's right. Money is important. Why can't I just admit it to myself? One reason is probably due to my education. I went to law school, not business school. I had several activist friends constantly pointing out the evils of capitalism. Even though most of us go off to big law to build our skills and pay off our loans, we're not purely money-driven. We're justice-oriented. Some of us go into politics and policy to try to change the world. We want to make society more equitable. We don't want to become billionaires. In fact, many of us think being a billionaire is wrong. We just want to have a nice life, and we're realizing life is expensive. Many of us would have gone into public interest if we didn't have families to take care of. I know this is an overgeneralization, and not everyone thinks like this, but this was certainly the culture and vibe I experienced while in law school. Money was something we all understood we needed, but it wasn't a main value we discussed often. The second reason I had trouble admitting that money was an important part of my value system was because chasing money cuts against some of my other values, like time for myself, and cultivating a human-centered culture where we value people over profits. I just hate how business incentives and maximizing profits can interfere with well-being. But I realized I was thinking in absolutes, black and white, as opposed to recognizing the gray. I remember Don Dixon said it perfectly in my conversation with her on the podcast. She said that money is important, it just isn't everything. And this characterization feels good to me. So that's where I've landed. The final part of my definition of success is pursuing a life where I've given myself the opportunity to work in my zone of genius as much as possible. Psychologist Gay Hendricks describes a zone of genius in his book, The Big Leap. He discussed four zones, the zone of incompetence, the zone of competence, the zone of excellence, and the zone of genius. This zone of genius is where your greatest passion meets your natural talent, which allows you to capitalize on your innate abilities. It's the state where you're in flow. You're effortlessly drawing on your talents. It doesn't feel like work. It can be challenging to figure out what this is, but when you do, operating in this zone leads to a lot of fulfillment. In an interview with Forbes, Hendricks noted that most successful people are operating in their zone of excellence, in which they are doing things at which they are highly skilled. This zone is ultimately unsatisfying, though, because it does not engage the innate genius of the individual. This research has helped me assign language to some of the thoughts and feelings I've had about my work. As an attorney in the investigations and advising space, I found my zone of excellence. But in the podcasting, storytelling, and life-slash-career advising space, I think I found my zone of genius, and I'd like to operate in it as much as possible. Before I took my sabbatical from my law firm, I started to think deeply about the next steps in my career. As a fifth-year associate in big law, this is pretty normal. It's a demanding job that most people leave around this time. It's often only a season of a person's legal career. A natural next step is in-house counsel, but I wasn't sure this was a natural next step for me. I was fortunate to have found my people and my practice group, but it still didn't feel right. Something in me wanted more, or something different. I felt guilty about it, like I would come off ungrateful, 
Some people might look at me and say, you have a good life. You make a lot of money. You're on a reduced schedule. So your hours are manageable. You actually work with people you like. You have a supportive husband. You're healthy. What more do you want? And I realized that I wanted to feel more fulfilled. I wanted to live a life more aligned with who I am. I also realized that I was changing. My values were changing. After having my podcast conversation with Kristen Turner, a number of things clicked. She helped me see things differently. As a Black woman in America who holds degrees from Stanford and Harvard, who has worked at top law firms, who studied abroad, traveled a lot, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. I am my great-grandparents, grandparents, and parents' wildest dreams. I am my mother's actual dream that she had no doubt would come true. But I remember thinking to myself, am I living my dream or at least working towards it? And Kristen eloquently articulates what I was feeling at this crossroads. When it feels like you're about to embark on a life or continue down a path that doesn't feel aligned with your purpose. Let's take a listen to what Kristen had to say. I started to feel very anxious and unsettled about what the next block of my life looked like. It's hard to describe and it's funny that like you're making me do it now. So I know I'm going to like do it imperfectly, but it was almost like being, have you guys, oh, not you guys, but have you ever been in like in an apartment building or something where like the fire alarm is super sensitive? Yes. That is, uh, okay. that is my apartment building. They've gotten, they've okay. gotten better great. with it over the years, but. <laughs> great, great, great. And you know how sometimes if it goes off frequently, I've had this happen in some of my apartments previously where it's like, if the alarm goes off regularly, like there are some times you're like, you know, fire. Like, we're not, I'm not going out like, I, you know, but then you're like, the screeching is just so bad that I have to leave, even though I know there's not a fire. That's how I felt. It was one of those things where there's an alarm going off mm. internally that I cannot get to go off. And it seems like only a certain set of decisions is going to get it to shut off. And it's like, I would let it stay on if it wasn't blaring out my eardrum. Yeah. And so long, yeah. And that's like how I started to feel regularly. The more conversation it came around, like, oh, when does work start for you and all this stuff? Like, I just became so very lost in it where it suddenly felt like the life I was about to live wasn't mine. There was nothing about it that felt like me. It just felt like a life, A, not mine, right? And so I went through a deep period of psychosis. Like, I was like, Basically, I started working through things in my head in real time all the time because I was just so confused. I was like, how could you not want this template? How? You know? And so I was like, am I a crazy person in a sane world or a sane person in a crazy world? You know? And then I started thinking like, you know, which one is it? And then I'm like, you're here at Harvard Law School. What is the currency here. You know what I mean? Like it's not money, right? Because people here like are very rich. They're very well off. You know, not everyone, obviously, you know what I mean? But like, they're also extremely privileged people. It's no question. It's Harvard law school. Right. And so it's kind of like, what is the currency here? If money isn't actually the commodity. And so I started thinking about that. I was chewing on that question for a really long time. And I was like, what is the part of the brand that I'm really here working for and taking on all this debt for? And I came to this conclusion that it was optionality, right? Like it's the ability to choose. That is what, for me, Harvard Law School affords you. And in my mind, anybody, regardless of like what kind of money you're coming from. But like, if that's the case, I couldn't figure out why I suddenly felt so trapped. And why I felt like I couldn't even conceive of any other idea of my life beyond what I was told was next. And it scared me. I 
worried because I think a lot of us in that situation, like we're carrying the hopes and the expectations of so many other people beyond just us, because like a lot of us play that role. We're the most privileged person in their family. You know what I mean? And so I think to think about that, especially through the lens of a black woman, there's this tension between what is my responsibility to others? But then also the question that I haven't really asked myself is what is my responsibility to myself? And it started to really mess with me, you know, and it's just like, you can't walk through the halls of Harvard Law School as a Black woman and not understand that, like, you are probably not, you're supposed to be there because you've earned it, but, like, you weren't ever fully meant to be there, right? Like, at least not in the origin story of Harvard Law School, right? And so, for me, it was like, wow, like, there are so many women in this country, women that I am related to, you know what I mean, but in this country, and there are so many women, especially in this world, who will never know a space between childhood and motherhood. And yet here I am, a full-blown adult adult at the best school at one of the best universities in the world. And I basically am at the high level of legitimacy that I'll have, you know, that I've had ever in my life, but also the least amount of responsibility because it's like, I don't have children. I don't have a spouse. I don't have a mortgage, but like, what am I supposed to do with this space? Like my current space, a single woman who is educated, without children, you know what I mean, like pre-30 years old, lives outside the imagination of a lot of women in this country and in the world, like my current circumstances, more than a lot of women could imagine. And so like, what is my responsibility to them in terms of like experiencing what they might not ever have the opportunity to? And I think it was just the idea that you could just start making decisions in real time that reflect some notion of freedom, right? I was like, Mm -hmm. you know what? Yeah. And so I think that I got to a point where I was like, listen, I know that something isn't right. And right now, like I have the license to basically make these decisions, but like, it's not something that you do. Like you don't decline your firm job. You know what I mean? Like once you've decided that you're doing the corporate route at Harvard or even really in law school, it's kind of like, you don't turn that down. But I did, like I called, I got, got the little extension for like how long you could take to deliberate. And then ran the clock. And then by virtue of just running the clock, I knew it wasn't something that I wanted to do. But I think what scared me so badly was that I could, I didn't have a vision for the alternative, right? It was just like, not this. And that's petrifying because we're just so conditioned to like, want the answers and like, want to know exactly what we're going to do and what the full five-year plan is. And that just wasn't the case. It was just more so like, I feel like I need to make, I need to cast a survival vote because for some reason, what I'm about to embark on doesn't feel like the path to my freedom or me thriving or me feeling like most like myself, but I couldn't tell you like what I wanted to do in the alternative. And it's like, I've already like invested all this money and all this time, you know, whatever. But I think what I learned from that moment is that sometimes you're really not going to have the entire playbook, but you do know what the next play is, despite how terrifying it is. Wow. I just love her articulation of this experience. And it really got me thinking, The first thing that stood out to me was her description of her unique privilege as a Black woman graduating from Harvard Law without any real obligations at this time in her life. She talked about her responsibility to the woman who may never have an opportunity to take advantage of this kind of freedom. And she talked about her responsibility to herself. And I thought about my unique position. As many of you know, I lost my mom and my grandma, the two women who raised me within the last two years. I thought about the foundation they laid the sacrifices, the love, the care. I thought about the dreams they were never able to pursue. 
and I realize that I owe it to myself and to them to at least try to pursue my dreams, to further step into my purpose, to lean into a life that lights me up, to live an inspired life, and to operate in my zone of genius as much as possible. When this internal alarm clock was going off, I didn't know the next step, but I did pay attention to it. And when the HubSpot Podcast Network opportunity came my way, I knew it was a sign that I needed to lean into this zone of genius concept. And I'm just so glad I did. I can't wait to see what 2023 has in store. Thank you for listening to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. Remember to share this episode with friends and family. And if you like what you hear, please go on to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to rate the show. It helps other listeners find No Straight Path. Let's spread the message, everyone, and make sure that millennials feel less alone. There's no straight path in your career and life, and that's okay. It's honestly what makes the journey exciting. So let's get inspired together. I hope you have a great week.